Welcome to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. They get the credit, we ask the questions. This is Credit Hour. In our inaugural episode, we interview retiring USD President Jim Abbott. President Abbott is the only alumnus to serve as president of USD, which he did for 21 years. In this episode, he reflects on his career, both academic and professional, at USD. Recording from ELF's Auditorium on the University of South Dakota campus, we are extremely excited to be joined today by our very own President James Abbott. President Abbott, how are you doing today? Good, thank you. So we are recording, uh, it's a few weeks yet um, until commencement, but it's the last few weeks of your last calendar academic year. Has it started to sink in at all? You know, that's a, that's a really good question. Yes and no. Um, I know all the plans, I know what's happening, I know what's happened, I, I know this is my last commencement, but I'm not positive that until that last student walks across the stage that I'll really understand that it's, uh, that it's uh, the past, not the future. But it's been a great past, so I look forward to the future as well. Well, and it has been quite the journey. You know, you are the only president um, in USD's history who is also an alumnus. Um, I'm curious what you were like as a student back in 1970. That's when you graduated. Were you studious? Were you staying out too late? What what were you like back then? Um, You know, I was a political science major. And as I recall, one of the things that we studied was the Fifth Amendment. (laughs) <laughs> and I would probably be wise to take that right now, plead that right now. No, I wasn't a great student. I was an okay student. I always regretted, frankly, that I wasn't a better student. I worked hard enough to get a decent grade point. I knew I wanted to go to law school. I, needed, I, I knew I needed to do well enough to, to, to get into to law school. But I could have been a better student. But, but I, again, I, I think that... Uh, um, had I realized how my life was going to turn out, I might have done things differently, but I'm not one to look back. So I, I, I guess that's all I'll say about that. I had a really great time here. I'll, I'll <laughs> and you were a good enough student, I guess, to become president. I, I mean, I so. had, a, I had a, an, a good gentlemanly 3.2 or something <laughs> like that. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't burn any barns down academically. You know, you said you studied political science yeah, 1970s were, you know, a tumultuous time in American history. I'm curious how much, you know, of kind of that national scene that you hear about when you, when you discuss history trickled down to USD here in Vermilion. You know, when I, one of my most vivid memories from my senior year was people wearing armbands, students wearing armbands, black armbands in protest of the, in protest of the, of, of the war in Vietnam, and then other people wearing white armbands in protest of those protesting. And I always thought that was kind of an interesting thing. I, I, I think that students who were my age, and particularly males, who came of age in that age, have a real weird view of how the world was because we didn't think that we did not want to go to Vietnam. We did not necessarily believe in it, and yet we felt guilty for the way we felt. And I don't think until the last 30 years, you know, 30 years from that time, when you can really look back and say, okay, what was right and what was wrong, we were made to feel wrong for feeling in opposition um, to the extent that anybody can make you feel anything. The, the view on campus, I think, at least certainly in the beginning, was, you know, we have no right to do anything that is um, 
anti what the government says because that's disloyal and yet we had no real belief uh, that that was the right thing. And I'm not saying everybody, I'm just saying collectively I think as time went on it, it became increasingly unpopular. But at first it was very difficult to be um, opposed to the United States government and I, I'm sure I didn't say much. You know, you, you mentioned how you would go on to pursue a law degree. It's one of the things I'm most curious about. You had such an eclectic career. Uh, you practiced law for a while. You ended up owning a communications company um, involved in politics. Was that intentional, or did you just kind of find yourself with these different opportunities, and then you pursued them? Or, or was that something that very much you knew you didn't want you know, to be in the same job forever and ever and ever? You know, I think I've just been extremely lucky. Um, I liked the practice of law until I left it, and then as I look back on it, I probably that probably wasn't something that I could have ever have done forever. I, as it turned out, I kind of fell into the communications, the, the cable business. Um, my great friend and client died of cancer of the colon at 42, and there really wasn't anyone to take over for him, and, and I agreed to do that. So. I always thought that that was his horrible luck was it ended up being kind of a good thing for me because I was able to then have a portion of that business, which was very, um, you know, certainly financially um, rewarding. Uh, I never ever once thought about being a university president until Brendan Johnson, who was a student body president, said to me about 10 minutes after I lost a primary election, "Why don't you apply at USD?" It. it we, we, a, a different kind of president might be good just now. And that was, that was where that came from. Um, you know, that's interesting. I, and so that, it was just a conversation that you had with Brendan Johnson, which really, that, that was the initial seed that kind of planted? I had just lost a primary election for Congress. Um, I was having dinner, my wife Colette and I were having dinner with, with Steve Johnson and his wife Becky, and, uh, and another couple from Sioux Falls, the Hyde Rooms as I recall, and um, Brenda literally walked by Emma's Cafe. You could sit outside. What it, what now it's the, it's the uh, barbecue place downtown. And uh, I hadn't really thought about it. And I didn't say anything much at that moment, but I left, we were leaving on vacation the next day, and I thought about it, and I said to Claude, I think I'll give this a shot, or at least talk to Bill Janklow about it. I went to talk to Bill, because he was the governor, and I knew without his support it probably wouldn't go. And uh, he and I talked, and he said, I think you can do that job. So then I decided to apply, and I did. You know, you talked about kind of your relationship with uh, the Heidelprems. There were a lot of, I mean, really influential people that came out of USD from your generation. Was there something in the water back then? Or what was, what was it that kind of, you know, I guess propelled all of these people to, you know, have significant careers in law or business or government? Well, a lot of the people you're talking about were much more serious than I in college, and Scott Heidepin would be a good example. He was the first student regent. He was always very interested. I think to some extent um, the leadership that came from USD and ended up somehow in politics or in the government, I think it had to do with the very time that a lot of things were changing. Um, Richard Knipe was governor in 1970, right in about that time. and. He, he, there were different things that, politics was changing. You know, the old guard was moving off and the new guard was moving in, and so I think it presented some opportunities for people about my age, and we were young then. 
Um, you know, under your leadership, USD has really transformed um, as a campus. You know, you you look back what it was, you know, 1997 when you took over, and just the landscape looks dramatically different with the buildings um, that have come up, renovations that have occurred. Um, was that a goal of yours uh, originally? Did you want to kind of come in and, and radically transform the campus, or did you just kind of find yourself in a position where, again, you, you felt like you had to do it? I, wa I wanted to be, to the extent that I had thought it out completely, and, you know, whoever thinks these things out completely uh, ahead of time, because one ought to think about what's going on first and see what one sees after a period of contemplation and then decide what to do, but um, that's not kind of the way I did. What I would have liked to have been is the person who said, I strengthen every single program, and I think we did think, strengthen several, many programs and, and begin others. College of Health Sciences, the School of Health Sciences comes to mind. Uh, we didn't have a separate school then of health sciences, but it became apparent to me quickly that the facilities were in such bad shape that something had to give. It was pretty clear even then that the number of students graduating from high school in our state was on the decline. I think I've said before that about 15,500 students graduated from South Dakota high schools in 1966, the year I graduated from high school, and now it's about 9,000. I think it sunk to about 8,500. So it, it was pretty clear to me that we were going to have a lot of competition. and the as we sit in this beautiful auditorium, I recall that right downstairs, um, the admissions office was located between the bathrooms and the pot machines. N not a great selling point. But, you know, I don't think we'd given as much thought as we should to those kind of things. Smaller universities, particularly private ones, were thinking about how to, uh, how to uh, improve their facilities all the time. And, and we were just drifting along thinking what we had was okay. Old Main was boarded up for 25, 30 years. I mean, if, when you think about that, when I think about that, I think what kind of institution thought that that was acceptable? What kind of alumni base didn't get absolutely uh, their, their, their dander up over something like that? And yet, you just get used to what you have. You pass a building 100 times a week, you don't notice that the windows are boarded up anymore. But if you walk on campus for the first time, you notice it immediately. Well, and it probably goes back to change being controversial always, but especially sometimes in South Dakota. You know, I was on campus as a student when we made the move to Division One, which now, I think looking back, you would say it's a no-brainer. At the time, it was fairly controversial. I mean, there was a, at least a, a section of the Volant editorial board that, that maybe would disagree with the decision. What what kind of compelled your thought process when um, it came to the university moving Division One? I actually wanted to move to Division One when NDSU and, and, and SDSU did. We kind of had an agreement that UND, USD, NDSU, and SDSU would go at the same time. I didn't really have the support that I wanted to make that happen. And then when UND pretty much pulled out of the, of the move, uh, we sort of did as well. That wasn't my preference, it wasn't my choice, but it was an economic reality at the time. Uh, we didn't have the alumni support when we built that over several years uh, and made a successful change. My view was that we needed as a university, as the University of South Dakota, as the liberal arts university for the state, as the first university in the state, I felt that we needed to have something that differentiated us from others. And I certainly knew that if SDSU was going to move, and when we talked about it together, the thought was that that made great sense. Um, 
it didn't work out that way, but I think in the long term it worked out exactly the way it should. Um, I think the Division I mentality has sort of spread all the way around. I think we think of ourselves as a D1 school, not just in athletics, but in every other way. And I don't think that's a bad way to think about things. So, you know, I don't think our competition is, is as much anymore at Minnesota State, for example. Um, I, I don't, that's not where our competition lies as much as it used to. And I think part of it is because the Division I athletic mentality, I think, helped us all the way around. I mean, not to have you project too much far into the future, but what's kind of the next plateau for the University of South Dakota to reach in terms of research? Um, you know, we talked about the USD Discovery District in Sioux Falls. I don't know if you um, can talk about maybe the beginnings of that and, and that, how that came about. Well, it became obvious to me that it was important, that research was important. I came into this job actually believing that research, as it were, was not particularly important and that we ought to emphasize teaching and very little else. And it did not immediately dawn on me that research and great teaching and service go hand in hand. Um, so Roy Sangstrom, who was, the, who was a great friend of mine, he was like, at that time I think he was head of EBSCOR, made it clear, he made me understand. He, he dragged me to North Dakota State and he made me look around at what they do up there and made it clear to me that great universities do great research that leads to significant economic development for the state. And that really is the genesis of the Discovery District. I would have loved to have said, I think we can do a great, um, research park in Vermilion, but I did not think we had the population base. I did think we could do that in Sioux Falls, and so we were able, with the help of uh, a very generous of, of Great Plains Foundation, we were able to acquire the space, the land, and then we, we put the Discovery District as well as University Center there. Well, and estimates are that you know, it's going to generate almost $300 million on investments when it's all said and done. You know, it's on the ground, you know, breaking of new fields and new technologies, biomedical engineering, um, business, um, and kind of the, the nexus between those, I guess. I think that that's the interesting part of the USD Discovery District. That was it really combines, you know, hard science and, and hard research, but, you know, with an economic focus in mind. Um, how important is that to universities, especially as they look for different sources of revenue? Well, I don't exactly look at at the Discovery District as a revenue source as much as I look at it um, as an ability, uh, as having the ability to transform the state. I mean, clearly there's a biotech emphasis in Sioux Falls. I think that can be the lead at, at the uh, Discovery District. And to the extent that we have classes, et cetera, in Sioux Falls, and we also have the Graduate Education Applied Research Center. So I think that we can make that a, a forte for us. but. Research for research sake is fine because it advances knowledge, but research that results in um, economic development in the state is even better. And that's really the purpose of the Discovery District. You know, you have a really unique relationship, I think, with students here on campus. Um, people always see you walking your dog, McGovern. I think that Colette was obviously very involved um, with campus activities and always going to campus groups and, and basketball games and, and things of that nature. I don't know, again, when we talk about kind of intentions when you walk into a job, was that an intention? Did you want to be, um, you know, close with students, have a good relationship with them? Did you view that as just kind of part of the job? Is that more just maybe your personality in general? general? 
Oh, maybe it's my personality in general. I always tried to make students talk with me. I mean, if, if when I walk across campus, I say hello to students and I kind of push myself on their face. I, I, <laughs> I want them to know who I am and I want them to talk to me if they will. I've never cared what students call me. Students call me all kinds of things. The other day, somebody called me Dean Abbott. I've never heard that one before exactly, but lots of people just call me Abbott as they watch across campus. I don't care. As long as they're talking to me, that's a good idea as far as I'm concerned. I always liked the students. It was always fun, but I love being a student. So coming back here as president made it easier for me to feel that way, and Colette was that way too. So um, I guess I always thought that if you have the very same question, the very same question on everything that you think about at a university, which is, is this what a student-centered university would do? And if you can't say that it is, then you're probably making the wrong decision. There's some ways, there's sometimes you can't do what the students want. But the question isn't, should we do what the students want? The question is, whatever decision is being made, is this what a student-centered university would do? And I always tried to push towards that. Because I thought, I mean, that's really important. That's what we're here for. So we're not, we're not here to satisfy administration. We're not even here to satisfy faculty. We're, trying to make, we're here to make sure that students get the kind of education they need to be great um, citizens, great spouses, great workers, great employers, great everything. That's what we do. Um, I think that there's this ever-present generational divide, right? People talk about the millennial generation. Gen X um, was a popular term. Uh, you know, you've seen different generations of students kind of come and go to USD. What is your perspective on, I guess, this generational divide that you know is probably ever-present? You know, no matter what generation you're talking about. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I guess I heard people talk about how the new generation, the younger generation, doesn't know as much as the older generation. Has that ever changed? No. Methuselah, at 900 years old, was probably talking about the 35 or 40 or 50 generations before him didn't know anything. Older generations need to listen more. And uh, I would be the first to admit that I have always lots of advice. I don't always listen as much as I should, even though I say that one should do that. One of the things about a college education is that you get to make some mistakes. You go to college, you think about things, some of your thoughts aren't well developed, sometimes you change completely your thought process and, and what you arrive at, the conclusion, that process. Not only the conclusion, but the process. That's the way it should be. You're supposed to be between 18 and 21 or 22, you're not supposed to be fully formed. And to my way of thinking, Adults who are out there in the world need to think about that when they think about what college and what younger students and, uh, think about and what they do. They're not supposed to know everything. And I can guarantee you people my age don't. So in my view at least, you have to give a lot of consideration to what other people think, particularly younger people, because they have a way of thinking differently. If we had thought, if our thought processes were all the same, we wouldn't have the internet. We'd, we'd probably still be, you know, communicating by telegraph. So every generation has been better than the last. That's the way I hope it continues. You know, I'm going to avoid asking you uh, a question to define your own legacy because I think I don't know if you'd give me a good answer or the real answer. You know, I'll, I'll I'm going to hang back on an Oprah question that she asks a lot of time in interviews, and we'll end it with that. 
what do you know now after your career, after, you know, various opportunities in business, law, politics, um, education? What do you know for sure? Um, that's a really good Oprah-esque question. I guess that's why she asks it. Um, I think what I know is that like all things that are trite, they're often true. I think we're all here for a reason, and I think we all have an obligation to do the best we can to make sure that whatever we do results in something positive. Um, that's not very dramatic. That's, uh, that's not telling you anything you didn't know, but the fact is that is, I think, why we're here. We, we, one wants to feel that one made a difference. Simplest sentence in the world, but it's pretty powerful, really. President Abbott, thank you for being here with us today, and thank you for your commitment to USD. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Credit Hour, a weekly thought-provoking conversation with the brightest minds from the University of South Dakota. Listening is 100% of the grade, so we hope you enjoyed the episode. Next week, we'll interview David Ernest, chair of the Department of Political Science about trade and tariffs. Until next time, go Yotes.